Welcome to Always Listening, Can I Trust My AI Assistant, a podcast series from the Secure AI Assistance Research Project. The SAIS Research Project focuses on investigating the security of AI assistance and privacy for its users. In this podcast series, we will be discussing in particular voice AI assistants like Alexa, Google Assistant and Suri with the researchers of SAIS and some of their partners to answer the questions, how do AI assistants really work? How do they use or possibly misuse my data? And we will start to unravel the question of, can I really trust my AI assistant? Over the last few years, we've seen an increase in the number of false news stories that are often shared widely on social media and online platforms because of their sensational claims. Whether these stories are designed as fake or created by accident, false information can have a huge impact on people's lives. As digital products, it is possible for AI assistants like Siri and Alexa to serve misleading stories as factual information. Dr Mary Bishfram worked with the SAIS project on research about misinformation in AI assistants. I interviewed her to find out how it occurs and how often. She started by explaining to me the subtle difference between misinformation and disinformation. Misinformation is information that could be harmful, that's either just verifiably not true, or that is something that's actually someone's opinion, so a biased opinion presented as a as a fact. Um, and disinformation is kind of a, a subcategory of misinformation, I, I'd say, in that it implies that this is deliberate. So you can provide misinformation just as a, a consequence of accident or misinterpretation or or just being misinformed yourself but disinformation implies that you're actually intending to mislead whoever's receiving the content that you're you're providing. How can false information reach users of voice AI assistants? So in terms of voice assistants um, I mean you can ask your voice assistant for information on all sorts of things you know, from the news to, I don't know, health information to information about countries, um, possibly even information on people, etc. Um, and the answer that comes back, um, that might come from the core provider. So it's something that, um, you know, say Amazon is actually providing to you, or it could come from one of the third party skills. And of course, those third party skills could be created by anyone with, it might be providing information on something that not an expert in and are actually misinformed on, or they could even be um, someone who's actively seeking to mislead people listening to their voice app. So one problem we identified was it was the fact that users are not always aware who they're talking to in the context of, of voice interactions. So I think if you download a smartphone app or you access a website, there are clear signals that tell you you've now moved away from talking to or interacting with one entity to another one. But in the voice assistant context, that's a bit more fluid. So people um, often think that they're talking to Amazon when actually they've moved away from talking to Amazon directly into talking to an app that was created by a third party. So that was one thing that kind of exacerbated the issue, we thought. Um, And so in terms of trying to test whether this is actually a real live issue at the moment, 
Um, what we did was we selected quite a small subcategory of the types of Alexa skills that you can access. Essentially, it was anything that called itself a fat skill. And then we built a chatbot that essentially interacted with them and recorded the transcripts of those interactions just to start to get a sense of what kind of information was coming back. What um, Could we identify any kind of trends? Basically, uh, quite exploratory at this point. We did find a few instances of information coming back that was either just wrong, which could have been done innocently, but was still potentially harmful. Mm-hmm. And then a, a couple of instances where um, an opinion was returned as as a fact from one of these skills. And then a couple that we thought might possibly have some political motivation, also inaccurate information that was unlikely to have happened as a result of just error. So most of them are quite possibly quite innocent. We found a couple of skills, for example, that said that chicken pox has been eradicated, which it clearly hasn't. Mm. Um, we found a, a skill that was providing uh, information on, on childcare, essentially saying that you shouldn't use teething remedies for your baby, um, which is contrary to kind of mainstream health advice. We found one providing some information on climate change, which although I think in in and of itself, it it wasn't necessarily harmful. It was more on the side of exaggerating likely outcomes rather than minimising them. I think that led us to think about, well, there is obviously a lot of climate change uh, disinformation out there in social media. um, And it's perfectly possible for that kind of disinformation also to be spread uh, via third-party voice applications. Is there anything that can be done to stop misinformation on voice AI assistance, or is it inevitable? Ooh, um, it's one of those areas where there are lots of problems and, and fewer um, solutions, I think. I, I mean, I suppose one thing is, how, how do you improve users' situational awareness in voice interactions? So, I mean, we thought about things like, oh, at, at the moment, a lot of the outputs of the voice from third-party voice applications or skills is the same voice, the same synthetic voice as Alexa. So just kind of in terms of your perception, you feel as though you're speaking to the same person, whereas maybe there could be a requirement that no one can use, no, no one other than Alexa can use the voice or voices that are used by the core voice assistant provider. And third-party developers have to use voices that are are perceived as being a different voice. Yeah, that's a a huge, huge area to look at in the future. And I think it's also this idea that um, Alexa is sort of like a voice that you know and has almost become a friend in a way. Mm. And then if suddenly you ask, you give a request and then a new voice comes to you, it's a bit like, who's this stranger in my house? You know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Actually, that's something that we also covered in in scoping out the problem is there's been a lot of research about the fact that because, as you said, Alexa is kind of recognised as a a friendly voice and often quite lighthearted, automatically, almost subconsciously, users, any user will build up a kind of almost a relationship with a voice assistant that you wouldn't necessarily have with a, a, a website or a social media feed. And that, again, is another factor that kind of exacerbates this potential for misinformation. 
So that's one potential solution where one trustworthy voice is used for the provider and another voice for the third party skills to make it clear that now a stranger is talking to you. The trust that we give AI assistants and the relationship we build with them is a fascinating area of research. We give our AI assistants names and have conversations with them and even refer to them as she and her. By anthropomorphizing them, are we starting to trust them too much, more than we would for another online service? Dr. Will Seymour gives an overview of the psychology behind the relationships we have with AI assistants. Yeah, this turned out to be a really complicated question. So obviously, talking to the assistant, the kind of speech from the assistant activates the same parts of your brain as speech from another person, so like when you're talking to me versus when Alexa's talking to me. But at the same time, yeah, there's been lots of research going on into how people kind of fundamentally think about AI assistants and like conversational assistants. You know, are they are they thought of as human? Are they thought of as robots? Something in between? So there's lots of, of work, particularly on kind of like children who are still kind of developing and like classifying the world to try and figure out what the what the deal is there. Um, and there aren't really conclusive results yet. That's, that's something that we're not, not too sure about. I think in general, people, people understand that they're not talking to another person. So there's that kind of separation. And you mentioned, you know, calling Alexa she, for example. And actually, you know, kind of research has shown that people move quite fluidly between these categories of talking about them as machines, as people, just depending on the circumstance and what they're doing. And there's also kind of been some interesting work showing that people do bring over the kind of cognitive biases that they express with people uh, and like giving machines and, and computers voices does change the way that we respond to them on a kind of subconscious level. So that's how we respond to assistance on an individual level. And in episode four coming next in this series, we will find out more about how we are being affected on a societal level and we'll have a deeper conversation on how biases come through in AI. In my conversations with the SAIS team and partners, I asked how AI assistance could be improved in the future. One of the SAIS industry partners is Microsoft. Sean John, the director of Microsoft Security Business Development, told me where you'd like to see the technology in 10 to 20 years' time. What I'd like to see in 10 to 20 years' time, I'll tell you what I don't want to see. I don't want to see a minority report where you walk in and and the the AI assistant in Gap goes, "Hello, Mister Yamauchi. Uh, you know, well, you, did you like those trousers you bought last time?" That's that's to me is at the creepy end of that. That's a personal, not a Microsoft statement. Um, really, what we want to see is something that's very important to Microsoft as a whole is actually seeing the adoption of these technologies that can really help to transform that we inter- the way we interact in the world, enable people to be more successful but for that not to be done at the expense of people's privacy and security. So to actually look that in 10 or 20 years' time, we truly have built responsible artificial intelligence systems, particularly in that voice-activated, much more close personal way, those secure artificial intelligence systems and uh, and, um, basically assistance, AI assistance type things. The fact that you actually get that support, you get that engagement, but you can be very clear about how your data is being used and it's not being in a way, used in a way that you don't approve. 
so that we really have machine learning, AI, AI assistance being used to enable the world, uh, not to undermine people's privacy. It's really important to Microsoft that as we're investing in new technology, we look at how to make sure that's done in a protected, ethical and secure way. So that's in, for that's us, that's important to think about what any privacy aspects might be from, from new technology, but also being used that in a way that can actually keep people safe. Really what we're about at Microsoft is enabling people to, to use new technology and get the most out of it. So we effectively create artificial intelligence capabilities that people can build into their websites, into the way that they operate. We're looking to democratise AI to some extent, allow people to effectively build on top of it. But it's really important when we're looking at things like AI assistance and voice assistance and things like that, that we're really considering all the privacy and the security issues that come with that and proactively doing whatever we can to protect. So that's why we're supporting this research to help find out what we can do to make sure we create a secure environment. I asked Jan to tell us more about why Microsoft have an interest in research like the SAIS project. So we're just interested in supporting the SAIS project, as we do with a lot of research, in terms of actually helping to support a project that is just taking that step back and looking at some of the the security and, and privacy issues. Some of the work that we've seen them doing around looking at, um, at how much the privacy policies people have equate to the way the skills are working on AI systems is really interesting. The fact that people are designing things that are asking for more permissions than is, than is necessarily reflected in their privacy policy, highlighting those issues. But that's important, but also they're looking at the relationship between trust and artificial uh, intelligence systems and privacy. We're really interested in those principles, even if it's the research is not taking place on Microsoft tool sets at the moment. That's not what it's about. It's about examining what the problems are what the underlying issues are and where we might need to think in terms of designing systems to have the most effect. Another future solution is having AI assistants set up with privacy settings that people typically want. James Flint, a privacy consultant from Securities, helps us understand the problem. The trouble is with data is that safeguards around most of these things that they're introduced create friction for the user. So they're actually inconvenient. You know, tech, the, the big you know, tech transformation that we've seen over the last couple of decades, it's, it's been a story of taking what was a pretty un, user-unfriendly technology, computerization, and making it not just user-friendly, but in fact actually seamless uh, and something that enables many, many other things in our lives. And that has been a huge transformation in convenience and I think part of the problem that, that privacy as you know, a culture of privacy or improved privacy faces is that it's constantly now putting blockers in the way of that convenience to say, hang on, wait a minute, think about this before you do it, right? And when it's cookies on every website, people are like, well, you know, I'm just sick and tired of this. You know, I don't want to think about, you know, 200 cookie promises on every website I've finished. But the fact is that, you know, there are 200 cookies tracking you on every website. But people don't really want to think about it because they don't want to give up the convenience. So manually changing privacy settings is a task that most people don't want to spend time doing. But the SAIS team have been thinking about a way to combat this problem. Professor Jose Souk explains more. How do you get assistants to learn 
what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. So for that, you need to first understand what's acceptable and not acceptable for people. So, and, and, and the reason for that is that, as I said, if you were to ask every time you put an Alexa in a home, if you were to ask uh, the owners or those around there, you need to specify case by case. That's not going to happen because that's too much work for users. They don't want that. In fact, research in other domains uh, where you give users the opportunity to configure uh, privacy or security to their uh, taste, to a level of detail that they can do whatever they wish, they don't do anything because that's too much work to do. You want to put the stuff there home and you don't want to spend days configuring it, right? So you need to have a basic understanding of what's generally acceptable for people, right? So that the assistant's got a baseline to start with. And we basically, what, what we did, we did some crowdsourcing scenarios and where we saw that there was a consensus or there was very big majority of people saying something is acceptable then or inacceptable uh, in terms of who to share information with, what type of information and stuff like that. We did this with thousands of, of, of users. So you get a, a picture of what seems to be acceptable or not acceptable in some general situations. So the assistant, then we put that knowledge into the assistant that has already come with the assistant. And then later, the assistant also can personalize itself. And there are lots of challenges involved. Like, for instance, how do you actually, the assistant conveys to the user what is doing, what is not doing, why is doing it or not. So that's something that we are also working on, on how do you, how can you explain to, to, to people in an actionable way what's happening or how you respond to questions they may have with regards to, with regards to privacy. Another important part of the work at SAIS is engaging with the public to explain how AI assistants really work. Here's Will from earlier telling me about the exciting events they have coming up. So some of the research we've been doing is looking at how we can explain how voice assistants work um, and the kind of different bits of information that we might choose to include and how these kind of independently and together change the way that people think about the, uh, the assistance that they're using. Um, so that's one aspect of it. We're going to be running an exhibition with Science Gallery London that's going to yeah, shed some light on how these things work behind the scenes, kind of help people kind of engage with what voice assistants are from a, a more kind of technical perspective. Um, and we're also doing some workshops that break open uh, the, the skill ecosystem, how data flows between first parties, third parties and, and the different actors there. Helping people to understand how these things really work, what data they really capture is important, um, but also kind of acknowledging that they're, they're part of this um, sort of bigger assemblage uh, that sort of drives a lot of the web and online services that we use today. The exhibition Will was talking about is called AI Who's Looking After Me. It's a free exhibition and event series taking place at Science Gallery London. It opens in June 2023 and explores artificial intelligence and its impact on our lives. The SAIS team have worked with the Cellular Studio to create an evolving soundscape that invites us to question our relationship with AI assistants, how and where we use our voices and the value we place on them. We can find out a lot more about the exhibition on the SAIS website. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Always Listening, Can I Trust My AI Assistant? In the next episode, we will look at how our data can be used, along with big data, to make inferences about us and how this is influencing our society. The SAIS project is a cross-disciplinary research project between the Department of Informatics, Digital Humanities and the Policy Institute at King's College London and the Department of Computing at Imperial College London, working with non-academic industry partners and policy experts, including Microsoft and Securities, who you will hear from in this podcast. If you would like to find out more about SAIS, you can visit us on our website or contact us on Twitter or LinkedIn. All the links are in the show notes. The music in this podcast is by Serge Quadrado.